True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you, let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, guaranteed. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch crushing! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy Now here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Welcome into Outfield Preview Part 1, and welcome to Fantasy Baseball Today. Frank Sample joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. Day on the pod, we'll get to the top 20-ish outfielders in average draft position. But let's start with a little strategy. Chris, we'll start with you. Outfield kind of feels a little bit like third base. Obviously, there's a lot more players to choose from because, frankly, we have three outfielders on every team. But it's very strong up top, and then it falls off a cliff, similar to third base in that way. So how much is outfield a priority for you, and how might that change in a three-outfielder league versus a five-outfielder league? Yeah, I think generally speaking, the problem with outfield is very similar to it, to what it is at third base. It's a slight, slightly different problem, I think. But like you said, I think the way they tend to work is those high, high, high upside players, those high end players are really, really good. And then, yeah, there's a bit of a cliff. And, and I think you can kind of see it in, the, in this example. In 2019, Austin Meadows was the number 12 finisher at outfield. He had 291 with 33 homers, 83 runs, 89 RBI, and 12 stolen bases. In 2022, Michael Harris was the number 12 outfielder. He hit 297 with 19 homers, 20 steals, 75 runs, 64 RBI. Now, he did that in 114 games, which is really impressive. He had a great season, but it's also kind of proving the point there because he was able to finish as a top 12 option in 114 games. So, you know, I, I think that kind of highlights and look, Austin Meadows fell off. I'm not making a case for Austin Meadows being this great player, but the production was better for him. And 
So yeah, I think there is definitely a uh, a drop off at the position. How that affects my strategy, Outfield is probably there with shortstop where I don't really have a specific strategy. I would like to get an early outfielder, but that's mostly because one of my first round picks is probably going to be an outfielder. I think eight of the yeah. 12 players in the top tw- in my top 12 are outfielders or something like that. Let's see. Uh, yeah, eight of, uh, in, in ADP, it's seven of eight of my top, top eight of my top 11 are outfielders in Roto League. So like there's a pretty good chance I'm going to take an outfielder then. Um, but it's not like I'm not making a specific choice. And then there's a big drop. I don't have another outfielder listed inside my top 36 in Roto League. So, you know, it, if I can get two of those top eight, I'm happy to fill two of my outfield spots up, even in a head-to-head points league, even in a, in a you know, whatever three outfielder league format. It just kind of depends how it falls. I'm not making a specific conscious decision to go after outfielders early necessarily. Are you? Do you have Trout in your top twelve? Yes. Yeah, he's number eleven. Okay. Scott, true story. I had someone text me. A buddy texted me today. He's been listening to the podcast. He said, "You know, I really like Scott's strategy. Outfield in the first round, third base in the second round, second base in the third round. It seems ideal. So I think we're all kind of, you know, we're all kind of uh, together in that way. So kudos to you, Scotty." Let's do a little fill in the blank. I want Except if everybody starts doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, we already saw Jose Altuve go in like the second round of a few drafts. Fill in the blank here, Scott. I want blank of my top blank outfielders. For example, I want three of my top 35 outfielders, regardless of format. And that's actually true of me. That that ends with Nick Castellanos <laughs> and Hunter Renfro. So three of my top 35. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, w- I would say that's basically the same for me. And... I would say that's even more imperative if you're talking a five outfielder league like standard roto. And that's that's a change for me. Like I can't remember another year like this where I was prioritizing outfield generally speaking over infield. Of course I have, you know, I feel the urgency at third base and slightly less so at second base. But it, it historically it's been very common for me to fill in my entire infield before drafting a single outfielder, even in even in years when it has the appearance of being weak, just by virtue of there being so many players who play the position, it's always felt like you could rely on uh, new players emerging there easier than you could, you know, random third baseman or whatever. But this is really bad. Like like this is I, I was uh, I wrote an article yesterday. It's up on the site uh, already just kind of... Um, CBSSports.com. Yes, that is the website that I write for. Uh, <laughs> talking about the how, how position scarcity is a thing again after you know, it kind of faded from importance during the juice ball era, which lasted a long time. I mean, we're talking like the last... The, the last the, the year before the juice ball year, the, the 2016 draft... First rounders included Miguel Cabrera and Josh Donaldson. So, like, it's it's it might as well have been a lifetime ago <laughs> that position scarcity was as, as important as I feel like it is now. And I think I've totally strayed from my point, and I can't remember exactly what I was talking about. I I, I think just outfield. So yeah, I was I was calculating the middle class at each position for that article, the the return of position scarcity, and like. By that measure, outfield is the weakest position. 
Third base is the second weakest position. Second base is the third weakest position, but not by not as weak as those other two. It's 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 relatively okay. It's obviously thin at the top, but it's not so bad in the middle. But yeah, you talked about Frank how there's a drop off in the outfield right around 30, 35 as you pointed out and I totally agree with that. It's you're kind of just conceding any outfield spots you have left at that point. Sure, you can shoot for some upside and we'll talk about some sleepers both on today's show and and tomorrow's show. But in this current hitting environment, the chances of any of those uh, upside plays coming through is is significantly lessened, I would say. So you're really you're really rolling the dice if you don't feel outfield early. And I understand I'm I'm here every show saying, oh, second base is the weakest. No, actually third base is the weakest. Oh no, now outfield is the weakest. But I, I, I think the overarching point is that you can sacrifice pitching now to fill all those spots. Because I understand you can't get everything. You have to sacrifice something. And I think pitching is the main thing to sacrifice. Um, as you said, Frank, outfield in round one, third base in round two, second base ideally in, in, in round three. By ADP, that makes the most sense. The fact seven of the top 12 players are outfielders and the fact that five third basemen will be gone by the end of round two. So four on average going round two. Like there, it's feasible to do that. And I think given the scarcities that that makes sense. Like I, I wouldn't imagine, like I can't imagine in round one other than Jose Ramirez, who of course is a third baseman. I can't imagine taking anybody other than an outfielder. I'm not necessarily going to reach for, for uh, you know Michael Harris if it's if it's if I have the twelfth pick and and the the seven or eight if you include Trout are gone, but yeah I mean if like if 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 the choice is between Kyle Tucker and Freddie Freeman or even between like Mookie Betts or Trey Turner, I'm probably going to side with the outfielder just because I, I really uh, I really don't want to wind up in a desperate spot at that position. Can I can I frame it in a slightly different way? Sure. Okay. One, first of all, the way Scott was talking about the positional scarcity thing made me think of the uh, possibly apocryphal Winston Churchill quote that's like, democracy is the worst form of government except for all the other ones. And like, shorts or third base is the shallowest position except for all the other ones, kind of how I felt about it. Um, I think part of the problem with outfield, and I really realized this when I was going through my position preview where I kind of write a blurb about each of the top 24 in our consensus rankings and I kept writing, well, his health is a big risk or he missed a lot of games, but if he stays healthy and then like that's, if you look at the fantasy pros consensus ADP of the top 24 outfielders, 15 of them played more than 130 games in the majors last season. Only 13 played more than 140 games. So like that's a big problem too. Yeah. Is like if George Springer was going to play 150 games, I'd feel really good about George Springer, even coming off and off year. He was still very good last season, even dealing with an elbow injury the whole year. Byron Buxton, you know, well, obviously we'll talk about him. Uh, Mm -hmm. I will talk about him. You know, I I, I totally Luis Robert, uh, Starling Marte, like these guys, Eloy Jimenez, kind of a, a run right after outside of the top 12 of just guys who, if they stay healthy are probably top 12 outfielders are very close. And, and so that's also part of the problem is like if we get a run of good injury luck at the position this year, next year we could be saying, hey, outfield's pretty good. I, you know, I think that's oversimplifying things because you do hit a point like 
I, I think it's before. You know, you guys said like 35. I don't really want Anthony Santander. I don't really want Taylor Ward. There's, like, a, there's a bigger drop off that comes after them. Like I get, I, I guess not, I, I think there's right, a pretty big drop off there. Talking about potential thirty homer guys, Santander sure. last year was a thirty sure. homer guy. Um, but I, 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 I both agree with you, and I think that there's already a big, a dr- big drop off there. So, so I, I get what you're saying with the injuries because I've experienced this in drafts too, and to me that that even increases the urgency to take one of those round one outfielders is. Uh, okay, I want three of my top 30s, 35, something like that. But a lot of them, even in that range, feel unsafe mm-hmm. because of the injury risks. You know, Springer, Luis Robert, yeah. Lo Jimenez, you talked about. So I'm, I'm there drafting in round four, let's say, round five. And some of those guys are still there versus like a Corey Seager at shortstop. I feel a lot better about Corey Seager, but I know outfield yeah. is going to get uglier faster and if i don't have an outfielder yet i'm probably gonna have to draft the outfielder that's why i need to get that at least that one outfielder at the very beginning and there is a small drop off after the first round of outfield oh yeah absolutely there's a big one for me i've got like i said eight in my top 12 overall and nobody else inside my top 36 i know i'm a little extreme on that but yeah, so I mean, you're you're kind of elevating Trout beyond what the average person like. Yeah, consensus Trout is a, a second rounder, a clear second rounder. So you're putting him in the first round, and and you know I think there's definitely an argument for that. But then after Trout, it's it's Michael Harris at around the two three turn, mm-hmm. who none of us feel that comfortable with. He kind of has to go there because of what his upside is and what he showed as a rookie. But like, I, you know, I, I don't think any of us feel super confident in Michael Harris. Uh, and then you get into pretty quickly, you get into like that Luis Robert group, uh, a good, yeah, you know, 20, a, a good couple rounds after Trout goes by ADP. So there's, there's this, um, black, there, there's this early black hole in the outfield too, that kind of the round three, uh, the round two, three range, maybe a little into round four, where anybody you take there is going to feel like a reach too. So it's uh, it's a difficult position to navigate. It's kind of a minefield. Chris, I appreciate your Winston Churchill quote. I can't say that I was familiar with it, but I have become more familiar with him recently because I've been watching Peaky Blinders, which is a pretty fun show, and I highly recommend go. it. So there you go. Uh, last point I'll make. I think if you ask the average fantasy player, they'll say, there's so many outfielders. You can fill this position. It might be, you know, something that's long lasting from, you know, years ago playing fantasy baseball, just kind of this lagging effect, right? But if you look at a lot of the outfielders that go later on in drafts, a lot of them are young and we're kind of, we don't really know what their playing time is going to be. And a lot of them are platoon players now. This is something that has changed a lot in the past five, 10 years just in baseball. Uh, it's, you know, a lot of left, like corner outfield situations on certain teams. They're just full-on platoons now, so we just don't even have guys that are playing every day anymore. Yes, there's more players in the player pool just because they're getting a few at-bats, but there's not as many that are just getting full-time playing time as we have had in years past. So just wanted to throw that in there. We'll talk about some of those more deeper names on tomorrow's podcast. Let's jump into ADP, and speaking of which, Yahoo has been added to Fantasy Pros ADP, so we now have six different sources, uh, so a pretty wide range of average draft position 
And I'll tell you what, yeah. man, ESPN's ADP is, is pretty wild. Well, so it's dragging yeah, a lot of the players like either really far up or really far down. So I wanted to comment on that too, because we obviously we structure these position previews around ADP. Uh, I was earlier today planning to write in an, an ADP review, players who are underrated and overrated based on P on ADP. But the the more I looked at this ADP data, I was like, there's just not enough yet to really take it seriously. Uh, you, you mentioned the ESPN thing where the it just seems totally random compared to all the other sources. Not totally random, but just yeah. way off base. And then, I, I mean, CBS's ADP data, our own ADP data, looks like it's based on a single draft, which may have been a keeper draft because a lot of big names weren't even drafted. So I just think it's too early to take it as gospel. And you shouldn't take ADP as gospel anyway, but beyond that, like these ADP values could change quite a bit by the time you're actually drafting. All right, so there are currently seven outfielders going in the first round in terms of ADP. Mike Trout's going in the second round. We'll get to him in just a little bit. Uh, those seven names, Aaron Judge, Ronald Acuna, Juan Soto, Kyle Tucker, Julio Rodriguez, Mookie Betts, and Jordan Alvarez. A ton of talent up top. And we'll start with the AL MVP. Aaron Judge who has an ADP of 1.8. Currently the highest drafted player across all sites. I know I said on previous podcasts that was Trey Turner or Jose Ramirez. But again, as we're getting more data from other sources, Aaron Judge seems to be the uh, consensus top player as of now. Although I haven't seen that in the drafts that I have done, regardless. He was the top player, regardless of format last year. Only The only player to clear 700 points in a head-to-head points league. And he hit 62 home runs, 133 runs, 131 RBI, 311 batting average. Just how ridiculous was he? According to the Rasball Player Raider last year, Judge earned $62.9 worth of salary cap value in a 12-team Roto League. Paul Goldschmidt was the next closest at forty point seven dollars, yeah. Aaron Judge was eighty percent better than anybody. If yeah. you took twenty percent of his homers, RBI, and runs away, he would have finished first, fifth, and seventh in the league in those categories. Twenty percent, twenty percent. Yeah, that's that's the thing that gets me about you know the the facts, and and it looks. It looks to be the exception now that we have more data, but the the fact Aaron Judge is the fifth player taken on average in NFBC leagues, I think it's a stretch to make an argument for anyone other than him at number one because he was such a distant first last year. I'm not saying he's going to hit 62 home runs again. It was a historic total, and and you know there's a reason it was a historic total. It's it's difficult to maintain that pace over a full season, but you have to realize. Every time somebody's hit 60 home runs in a season, there's been somebody else who's been pretty close. Closer than anyone was to Judge last year. Judge hit 16 more home runs than than Kyle Schwarber, who was second. That's the biggest gap between one and two for any season in which somebody hit 60-plus home runs, including the year Babe Ruth did it. Lou Gehrig was closer that year than, than Kyle Schwarber was to Aaron Judge. So Judge... Just season, like he he showed that when they're playing with a fairer baseball, his outlier exit velocities translate to significantly more power. It may not be, it, it probably won't be 62 again, but I think he's a very safe bet for 45, 50. And I think that would be enough to keep him the number one player 
maybe not easily. Maybe there'll be others in that same range. But I, you know, he'd have to he'd have to regress an awful lot for anybody to surpass him, given how high he finished last year. I think the best case for not taking Judge over one is that he has a bit of an injury history. Do you want to if you want to avoid him for that reason? Okay, well, I mean, in years past, I avoided Judge for that reason, so I can't blame you. But if performance-wise, that that that's not a good reason. Like he he stayed healthy in 2021 and was awesome, and you know, was significantly worse in every category. And it's the kind of thing where like, if he's 20% worse in home runs, it's not going to be 20% worse in home runs and 20% worse in runs and RBI and, and batting. Like that's not how it's going to go. It's going to, it's going to be distributed differently. And you know, the way things work, it might be that, you know, he hits 52 home runs instead of 62 home runs, but his batting average falls 30 points, which would still be a very good 281 mark, by the way, because, he hit 311 last year. Um, but, you know, I, I, the case against it would just be that, like, if he has a normal Aaron Judge season, he's still a very good player. But this was someone that we weren't talking about as a first-round pick last year, coming off a very good season where he stayed healthy. I don't feel particularly inclined to make a case against Aaron Judge. He's my number two player. Or, yeah, number two overall, yeah. Um, I like Ronald Acuna more. Just, I think the... The stolen bases may give him a little bit of an edge, but it's not a knock on Aaron Judge. He's very much a number one player contender. Yes, and he is the number one player in all of our head-to-head points rankings. Obviously, the OBP and the home runs and as many plate appearances as he's going to get, he excels in that format. Any league where OBP directly counts, he's the the number one player, except for daily lineup leagues. (laughs) Chris, talk, talk to me about Ronald Acuna. You just said that you have him as your number one outfielder. And frankly, I'm thinking about making the change myself in Roto Leagues as well. Last year, coming back from the torn ACL, only 15 home runs, but had 29 steals. Frankly, I think we were expecting the reverse of that. He ran a lot last season and, you know, frankly, looked pretty healthy doing it. The problem is that it didn't show up in the power. He hit a lot more ground balls. It seems like he didn't really have his legs underneath him. If you look at his numbers prior to 2022, his 150-game pace, Ronald Acuna, 39 homers, 29 steals with a 281 batting average. So if you're telling me I can get 35 and 30 from Ronald Acuna or 45 and 10 from Judge, I think I'm going to try and go for the 35-30 with Ronald Acuna, at least in a Roto League. There is, I, I think, a better case than most realize for Ronald Acuna ending up being the best hitter in baseball at the end of this season. And that's not including stolen bases. Like he, he has legitimately transformed himself into one of the very, very best hitters in baseball. He hits the ball incredibly hard. He doesn't really strike out all that often anymore. He's got it down to 24% over the past two seasons, which is a little higher than average. But when you hit the ball the way he does, and he's, he excels across the board in all of the batted ball metrics last season, even in a down year where he wasn't hitting the ball as well, 86th percentile average exit velocity, 92nd hard hit rate, 95th expected WOBA, 85th percentile expected batting average. Like he just does everything well. And that was in a year where, like you said, he wasn't elevating the ball. And oh yeah, he might steal 40 bases because that's the pace he was on last season. I think it's unlikely Ronald Acuna goes 40-40. I think there are only two players in baseball who could even consider going 40-40, and it's him and Fernando Tatis. And if Tatis wasn't you know, coming off the two surgeries and dealing with the suspension, 
he'd be in the conversation for the number one overall player. So I just think Ronald Acuna is, I mean, he's not as good as Aaron Judge was last year as a hitter. But there's a decent chance that Ronald Acuna goes out and puts up like a 1050 OPS last season. I think he's okay, so that good of just a hitter. So that's the upside case. Yes. Okay, let me frame it this way. The upside case depends on the idea that Ronald Acuna stopped hitting home runs last year because his knee wasn't right and it affected his swing. What if that wasn't the reason? Or perhaps even more realistically, what if it was the reason and he can't get the swing back? Sure. I, I think that needs to be built into the con- into the, the, the in, into your considerations a little more. And I, I, I say that as somebody who has Ronald Acuna as his number two outfielder in five-by-five five leagues anyway, so maybe it's splitting hairs a bit. But I don't think we should just assume he's going to get back to being Ronald I, Acuna. I don't think we can we can just assume he will, but my ge- it's the same thing with Juan, Juan Soto, who basically I'm just kind of throwing out last year's numbers in a lot of ways. I think when you're this good, this young, I'm going to give you more than the benefit of the doubt because, I mean, we're talking about Ronald Acuna and Juan Soto, and I think Fernando Tatis will throw in there as well. Like These are guys that if, no, if nothing catastrophic happens, they're sailing into the Hall of Fame. Like If they play another 10 years at anything close to the level we've seen, they're clear Hall of Fame caliber players. And I just, I give those guys the benefit of the doubt, especially with Acuna. Like, look, maybe the knee injury just completely changed the the course of his career. Even saying that, though, I mean, he clearly wasn't himself. He played three quarters of a season last year, and he had 15 homers and 29 steals. You know, like, the floor is only so low. That's uh, I agree with the floor only being so low, and that's why... Really, I think it's it's just a question if it is the risk of Acuna not bouncing back worth passing up Judge. And for me, the answer is no. For you, it sounds like yes. But I did want to make that downside yep. case for anyone who was only hearing the upside case. Yeah, I mean, I'm basically painting it as glass half full. So uh, apologies, that's kind of the, the side that I'm falling on the coin right now. But one year further removed from the knee surgery and entering his age 25 season, he's still super young, Ronald Acuna. So I'm a little bit more optimistic, but I, I do get the concern. Juan Soto has an ADP of 6.8. And last year, it all kind of came crashing down. And, and I say that for someone who still hit 27 home runs with 93 runs scored. But he did that with just a 242 batting average and 62 RBI. Uh, what changed last year? The batted ball data changed. It seemed like he was kind of selling out to lift the ball, which is something Juan Soto has never done before. So, mm-hmm. look, just go back to hitting ground balls, your normal approach. And whenever you hit the ball in the air, it's going to be really hard. That has always been the case with Juan Soto. And uncharacteristically, was really bad against left-handed pitching. That has never been an issue for Juan Soto, so I would expect him to bounce back there as well. And there's obviously the off-the-field stuff, getting traded, starting off with a terrible team with the Nationals. So uh, I guess it's another player where I'm just giving the benefit of the doubt. But Scott, much like Acuna, I'll make the case, prior to last season, Soto's 150-game average, 31 homers, 108 runs, 100 RBI, 10 steals, 301 batting average. Doesn't get much better than that. Yeah, I, I mean, at, as with Acuna, I think it's just a question of how early in round one you draft him. And, it, you know, before all this new ADP data came in, Juan Soto was looking more like a late first rounder. 
And I think that's more appropriate, at least in a five-by-five league. Now, in a points league, because he walks 40 times more than he strikes Mm -hmm. out, he is probably the number two outfielder behind Judge ahead of even Acuna. But these this ADP data is for five by five roto leagues, and so from that perspective, uh, it's hard for me to justify Juan Soto ahead of Julio Rodriguez or Mookie Betts. And it's a close call with Kyle Tucker. I do think I'd take Soto instead, but it's a close call. Yeah, I agree. You know, basically for all the same reasons we talked about it with Acuna, the the, the fact just a year ago. Soto was widely considered the best hitter in baseball, and his career started out uh, on <laughs> on a legendary track, basically putting himself on, in position to be a Hall of Famer from the time he was 20 years old. Uh, so, you know, a, a bad year where a lot of things still looked really good. The plate discipline still looked amazing. Quality of contact was still high and everything. Yeah, I'll give him a pass for that. I think it's also notable that his BABIP, sort of like Corey Seager last year, uncharacteristically bad against the shift. And and so does a guy who puts the ball on the ground pretty good amount for somebody with his power. So that that may have helped drag down the batting average. And he's a guy who could potentially benefit from uh from them from from reduced shifts, from them eliminating the three infielders on one side of second base. So if you want kind of uh um you know, a more specific reason to believe in the bounce back, I guess that would be it. But I don't even really need that. I think just the fact that Soto's track record is what it is. You know, I I expect him to look a lot more like Juan Soto this year. And while he's not going to be one of the outfielders in round one who's going to make a big impact in stolen bases, he is still an outfielder. And I... Like, I, at, as I said at the top, I want to fill that position in round one more than any other. Just after Juan Soto is Kyle Tucker with an ADP of 7.8. He's gotten better each of the last three seasons. He's finished 35th, 28th, and then 14th in Roto last year. Also averaged 3.3 fantasy points per game in head-to-head points. One of four players to go 25-25. That's 25 homers and 25 steals. And Chris, much like Juan Soto and Corey Seager... The shift restrictions, we think, obviously, those guys can bounce back in the batting average department. I'm expecting the same thing for Kyle Tucker because his batting average dropped down to 257 after hitting 294 in 2021. Uncharacteristically, he hit 255 against the shift last year. Previous three years, 305, 301, 290. So I think the batting average bounces back, and we could get you know 270, 280, 25, 25. And to me, I'd rather have that player over Juan Soto in Roto Whereas I'd rather have Soto in a head-to-head points league. Yeah, I think the thing that works against Tucker in both formats, but especially head-to-head, and you know, obviously it's not necessarily fated to be the case forever, but the Astros have stubbornly stuck him in the lower half of the lineup. I he hate had it. I hate it. A hundred, if I'm doing the math in my on the top of my head correctly, 118 of his starts at the fifth or sixth spot in the lineup obviously means fewer opportunities, fewer plate appearances, fewer counting stats. The one thing I will say about the batting average is 2021 is the outlier there. I mean, we're talking about relatively small samples prior to 2021, but he did hit 268 in 2020. He didn't hit for a good batting average the prior year in a small sample size. His XBA for his career is closer to last year's than it is to the 2021. So I'll just throw that out there that he might be someone who 
just isn't a huge contributor in batting average. And I think the case for Kyle Tucker is also kind of the case against Kyle Tucker, if that makes sense. And that like, he's very good at everything. He's not great at anything. And so it's like, he's a B plus in five different categories and that makes him an A, but you can see a case where Juan Soto is an A plus in three categories. And, and, and so that's, that's the thing with Kyle Tucker's it's, it's sort of a, a Jack of all trades profile and he's a very good player. And I think he is one of those players who has some room to break out. If for no other reason, then maybe he just hits second. You know, I don't think he will. Because we're, you know, in his third full season now and it hasn't happened yet. But if they ever do it, I mean, that's a, you know, probably, God, 10% increase in play appearances. For, for being such a, a highly regarded player in fantasy and in real life, Kyle Tucker's OBP skills are pretty mid. I don't know that that's Dusty Baker's thinking because he tends to bat Jeremy Pena high in the lineup. <laughs> yeah. but. He's, he's kind of like Don or. Dante Bichette is Bo Bichette <laughs> in that like when you look at him as a player compared to the rest of the players that he goes around and especially as a hitter he doesn't really compare Ronald Acuna Juan Soto even Mookie Betts these guys are much better just pure hitters than Kyle yeah. Tucker and so it's the kind of thing where like if as he ages he's a 10 steel guy that's instead that's of a 25 steel guy yeah the profile that- starts to look a lot worse I don't know what was more, what surprised me more about Kyle Tucker's stat line last year, the 257 batting average being low or the 25 steals being so high because he only had 14 the year before. Sprint speed's not very high. Nope. Uh, and, you know, as, as middle of the order hitters age, they tend to run less. I don't know if that's going to be the case anymore with stolen bases about to increase, we all think. Um but it it is like this is the case for why you draft Kyle Tucker late in round one as opposed to m- the middle of round yeah. one. That's what I'm basically making here is that is his batting average going to bounce back as Chris laid out? I don't think you can necessarily count on that. I'd say probably, are, but not necessarily. Are his stolen bases going to remain this high? I don't know that you can count on that either. I but guess- maybe. I guess the only other point I would make in Kyle Tucker's favor, and when we get to Mookie Betts, obviously we can talk about this, is I think even if Tucker's batting average doesn't get to where I think it will be, he'll still hit 260-ish. Yeah, That's probably where Mookie Betts is going to bat as well at this point in his career. So just kind of save that, and and we'll talk about Betts in just a little bit. Let's get to uh, Julio Rodriguez, who has an 8.4 ADP, but like Scott said, in most of the drafts I've been in, at least Roto and Category 1s, he's a player that's typically going in the top 5 or 6 in a head-to-head points league. Maybe he drops down a little bit because of that plate discipline, but... What a rookie year it was. 284 batting average, 28 homers, 25 steals. Another one of those four players to go 25-25 last year. That's including in April, where he hit 205 with a 37% strikeout rate and a 544 OPS. I remember. And if you remember, it was not like he has swing and miss in his game. He's yes. a big young player. Like those guys swing and miss a lot. The ones who don't are, are outliers. The problem for him last April was he was just, I don't know if he was getting squeezed or if his swing decisions weren't right, whatever it was, he had an inordinate amount of called third strikes. 
in April. I, I can't, I, I could look it up if we want a specific number, but he was among, if not the league leader in called third strikes in the month of April. Yeah, no, that was a real thing that was happening. I remember there were interviews with Scott Service where he was kind of going off and he was frustrated about it. They were both frustrated. From May 1st on, Julio Rodriguez hit 297, dropped the strikeout rate to 24%, a 9.05 OPS. He's a freak athlete. We're talking 92nd percentile average exit velocity, 97th percentile sprint speed. Scott, the only things that I worry about with Julio Rodriguez, and you tell me if you worry about these, the plate discipline, a little bit lacking, 7% walk rate, 26% strikeout rate, does chase quite a bit, and only four steals in the second half. So... As the power is starting to rise in the middle of the lineup, does he run as much? I think he's certainly capable of, but it's just something I noticed in the second half. Uh, how concerned are you about those two things? Yeah, I uh, I am concerned about the the steals dropping off, and as I understand, it was uh, because pitchers started, you know, holding him closer. Which again raises the question of will the pickoff limitations, you know, the fact they can only throw over twice per at bat now, is that going to allow Julio Rodriguez to run wild like he was early in the season? It's impossible to say, but you can at least make that argument. But ultimately, the the fact that his steals did decline so much over the course of the season is why, uh, well, my initial thinking between him and Ronald Acuna was, okay, Rodriguez over Acuna because... I'm not totally sure what's going on with Acuna's knee and his swing. I ultimately decided to change that and move to Acuna ahead of of Rodriguez because I feel like the steel ceiling is absolutely higher. And the power ceiling might be higher too. At the very least, it's similar. Mookie Betts goes right after him in ADP of 9.6. The old man. Old man, I say old man. He's entering his age 30 season, but continues to get it done. He was a top 10 player last year in Roto. He averaged 3.8 fantasy points per game. That was tied for second at the position. He hit 269, 35 homers, 117 runs scored with 12 steals in 142 games. So that includes an IL stint. Still had 117 runs scored. I mentioned this earlier. After hitting 292 in the short in 2020, Betts has hit 264 and 269 in each of the past two seasons, respectively. And the steals have been between 10 and 16 each of his last three full seasons. So, Chris, Moogie Betts is still a really valuable player, but I think we just have to wrap our heads around the context of what we're expecting. 260 to 270, 30-plus home runs, 10 to 15 steals, I do kind of worry that the counting stats could take a step back because the Dodgers lineup is not as good as it has been now that Trey Turner is gone. It's not as good as it has been, but I I do think there's, like you mentioned, you think Mookie Betts and Kyle Tucker are very similar in terms of batting average. I would say I I do think Mookie Betts is a better bet for batting average, and I don't have a ton to go on there because the expected stats two seasons in a row have suggested that he's been more of a 260-ish hitter. He's a career 293. Like the last two seasons, the underlying numbers have suggested that he has mostly earned a mediocre batting average. And, you know, it's possible that at this point in his career, he's had to make some trade-offs. And one of the trade-offs is power or average for power. And and maybe that's it. But this is not like the most sophisticated way of analyzing a player. But it's part of it is just like it's Mookie Betts. And so when you talk about like Mookie Betts versus Kyle Tucker, it's Mookie Betts. I, I I can't give you like 
uh, a stat cast breakdown of everything that Mookie Betts does better than Kyle Tucker. If you look at those underlying stats, they actually look like fairly similar players. Mookie Betts is a Hall of Famer. And if he has another, because we've we've done this before with Mookie Betts, where we're like, well, okay, he's taken a little bit of a step back. He's probably not. And then he had another MVP caliber season. So I just, mm-hmm. I do think I have more faith in Mookie Betts. Just it's not a dead cat bounce, but, you know, a still very, very, very alive cat that also bounces. <laughs> uh, he's only 30. Right, yeah, yeah like we tend right, to think of him, him and hip, like Trout, yeah. He had the hip issue in 2021, and I wonder if there's some lingering, oh, this guy's injury prone, oh, this guy's getting old. Yeah. I don't think it ever really came up last year, right? And no, not at all. fast, so I could see him returning to... His to, sprint speed was down last year, but he's yeah. also the kind of player that like, I think is always going to outperform his sprint speed in terms of stolen bases, and... yeah. And, and I, I think I, I think he can get back to twenty plus steals if if the, I could if see the it, yeah. stolen base environment goes the way I think it's going to. And I think uh, especially but, with without Trey Turner there, like I could see a, yeah. a circumstance where like that lineup being a little worse, he runs a little more, and uh, you know I, I think that could only help. One last note about Betts: He finished last year with second base eligibility, and the plan, as I understand it, is for him to play more second base this year, so he could regain it early on. And well, you know, we talk about how weak outfield is. It's hard to see him moving him off the outfield in a five outfielder league and a three outfielder league. That may come in super handy being yeah. able to play Mookie Betts at second base. And Yahoo, he might already be eligible at second base because Yahoo position. I'm eligible at second base on Yahoo, is, actually. It's ridiculous to the point that none of this position scarcity stuff may matter. But um, uh, everywhere else, he doesn't have it yet, but Betts could absolutely gain it sooner than later. All right, before we get to Jordan Alvarez, he's the last player on eight in terms My of dumb? ADP going... What's up? Nothing. It's a <laughs> dumb joke. I'm sorry. It's totally fine. I didn't even hear it, to be honest. Uh, Jordan Alvarez going <laughs> late in the first round. I'm just going to let you guys know so you can get this ready beforehand. I'm going to ask you to rank the seven that we're talking about, including Jordan Alvarez. Scott, you'll get head-to-head points. Chris, you'll get Roto. So I'll ask you to do that just so you can... Little heads up. Get it ready before uh, right after we talk about Alvarez. Speaking of Alvarez... He finished 10th overall in Roto last year and does not steal any bases. That's how amazing of a four-category contributor uh, Jordan Alvarez is. 3.8 fantasy points per game. He's awesome in that format. 306 batting average, 37 homers, 95 runs, 97 RBI, 1019 OPS. Second highest among all hitters behind only Aaron Judge. Uh, Did miss some time due to a hand injury that he suffered in June. Went on the IL in July. had a brutal August as a result of that, and even with that, had a ridiculous season. Chris, we don't really see StatCast data like this. Jordan Alvarez was 100th percentile in each of average <laughs> EV, hard hit rate, ex-WOBA, XBA, ex-slug, and barrel rate. His expected batting average was 329. His expected slugging percentage, 672. I have never, in years of doing this since StatCast has been around, seen expected numbers like that from a hitter, and that is what you're getting with well, Jordan Alvarez. yes, you have. Because Aaron, Aaron Judge exists. <laughs> no, no, I, I just mean in terms of expected numbers. We've never seen yeah. an, an expected batting well, average of 329. We've never no, seen yeah, one that high. His well, expected WOBA last year was one point lower than Aaron Judge's. One one yes. thousandth of a point, by the way. 463 versus 462. Just to tell you the, the air that we're operating in with Jordan Alvarez. 
Yeah, let me see if I can pull up this amazing stat I found. Bas- basically, uh, basically, Aaron Judge and Jordan Alvarez were one and two in e- almost every single stat cast metric you'd care about for a hitter. Um, they were like, we know Aaron Judge was an outlier, but Alvarez was basically neck and neck with him in those underlying numbers. So he ranked behind only Judge and average exit velocity, hard hit rate, barrel rate, next WOBA. And then there's X slug where judge clocked in at 706 and Alvarez at 672. Third place was Mike Trout all the way down at 583, nearly a hundred points below Alvarez. So like Alvarez is kind of Walmart Aaron judge. How far are you willing to take that though? Right? Like, are you taking Alvarez over any of the guys that provide steals in a roto league, like even though Mookie Betts will only give you, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 steals, you guys are a little bit more optimistic. Would you take Alvarez over? Yeah, B- Betts I'm taking over Kyle Tucker. Kyle Tucker, yeah, me too. You're doing it. Me too. Okay, I'm taking yep. him over Juan I'm Soto, over- who will give yep. a few more steals, but not a ton. But yeah, those are the two that we've talked about so far. Jordan Alvarez is my number five outfielder, number seven overall player. Yeah, I agree. I'm taking Alvarez over Soto and Tucker. I am taking bets ahead of Alvarez. Yeah, same. But that's a close call. Okay, so Scott, those seven outfielders that I, we just talked about, Alvarez, Betts, Julio Rodriguez, Kyle Tucker, Juan Soto, Ronald Acuna, and Aaron Judge. How are you ranking those seven in a head-to-head points league? First of all, let me say this real quick, since we're talking head-to-head points. So second among outfielders last year was Jordan Alvarez, 3.79. First was Aaron Judge at 4.55. <laughs> LOL. It's insane. Third, by the way, was Mookie Betts at 3.78, so a hundredth of a point behind Alvarez. But that was last year. Okay, how I'm ranking them for this year, I got Judge 1, Soto 2, the, the, the huge disparity in walks and strikeouts pulling him up, even if he doesn't completely recover as a hitter. Mookie Betts 3. Jordan Alvarez four, Mike Trout five. Uh, oh, Mike Trout five. We didn't talk about him. We'll get to him in just oh. a bit. Yeah, he, his, he, his value is elevated in points leagues too. Uh, Julio Rodriguez six, Ronald Acuna seventh, Kyle Tucker eighth. All right, Chris, rank those seven. I, I guess you could throw a shot in that mix if you want to. Uh, that would make it eight in Roto or categories. I don't need to throw Mike Trout in there because in Roto he is eight. So we can just, you know. Uh, Ronald Acuna, Aaron Judge, Julio Rodriguez, Mookie Betts, Jordan Alvarez, Juan Soto, and Kyle Tucker. All right, fair enough. Let's take a quick break. we got a lot more names to get to, and we'll get to that right after this. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. 
All right, let's get back into ADP. You know, gents, I think we're going to have to skip sleepers, breakouts, and busts today. We'll give out two options tomorrow, or if we have to, we'll, we'll go to three outfield previews. But I just want to make sure we give all these early round outfielders uh, enough um, enough time to, to talk about them and obviously break them down. Let's talk about Mike Trout, who goes in the second round. His ADP is 20.2. Last year, he hit 40 home runs in 119 games, now dealing with a quote-unquote chronic back condition, which admittedly we were very worried about last year, but he returned on August 19th and hit 16 home runs the rest of the way. That was in 40 games. That was tied for the most home runs in baseball with Aaron Judge. Scott, there's some kind of weird, wonky things going on with Trout the past couple of years, a strikeout rate up around 20 per, uh, 28% two years in a row. Kind of selling out, you know, 57% fly ball rate, you know, selling out for those fly balls. XBA is down a little bit. Where are you at on Mike Trout? Now, uh, enter. he will turn 32 years old in August, and he has this back injury. So uh, you're still using yeah. a first or second round pick on Mike Trout? Yeah, I, I would say in five by five leagues, he's the one outfielder that probably should go in round two with those other seven going in round one. He, he kind of... Uh, is your last chance before that first dip at the position. I think the biggest concern for Trout, yes, I mean, he hasn't been a base dealer in a long time, and, and maybe he's not a clear batting average standout anymore. It was pretty good as far as that goes. The biggest concern is that he has this chronic back issue that sidelined him for a stretch in the middle of last season. And when it was first reported, remember, people were flipping out like his career's over. He came back, and, and that, I think... That was just like a weird quote from a doctor. Yeah, that, like that. That was just like a, like a guy who doesn't have media training was my read on it. <laughs> Pretty definitively proved that he has plenty of career left after coming back. But is this something he's going to have to manage going forward? Is it going to be like Ryan Braun the last few years of his career where he had to sit out a game or two a week to to manage his ongoing back issues? And you know that would obviously preclude. Mike Trout from putting up first round caliber numbers, but he's still really good. And um, I, I find that in our own drafts, he, he slips a little too far. Maybe everybody like me is, is gravitating toward third base in round two. And that's why, but Trout is, there's still a lot to like there from Trout. Chris, are you going with Mike Trout over those elite third basemen, the Austin Riley's Rafael Devers, Manny Machado group, or are you just, Kind of hoping that Trout is still, a, a you know, a better player than those guys. I have no doubts that Mike Trout is a better player than those guys on a per-game basis. Obviously, I have more faith in Rafael Devers and Austin Riley and Manny Machado playing 130, 140, 150 games than Mike Trout. But, like, on a pure per-game basis, I, I think Mike Trout's just still... If he's not still the best hitter in baseball, it's he's no worse than number two or number three. And so I do tend to rank him ahead of those guys in Roto, especially because I do think, you know, the, the fact that you're playing the season long game, you can weather the, the absence is a little easier. He was what the number 30 player in Roto last year, despite missing 43 games, which is pretty impressive. Um, like I think on a pure skills level, he might be the best power hitter in baseball, except for Aaron Judge. And I think he's also probably still a 290 to 300 pure skills hitter. And 
I don't think he's going to run, but I'm just going to keep throwing this out there that he's still an elite athlete. 95th percentile sprint speed last year. So it's entirely possible that if he wants to, he could steal bases again. I don't think he will, but I think that is a possibility is what I would say. And so, yeah, I just, I, I just think a, a hitter of his caliber, I'm still going to rank that high. And just to put a number on it, Mike Trout has missed 31% of his games since the start of 2017, so nearly mm-hmm. a third, and he has not played more than 140 games since 2016. So you don't get a zero when he's out of your lineup. You'll find a replacement, but obviously the deeper the league goes, the harder it is to replace sure. someone like Mike Trout. Drop nearly two rounds, and we get to... Uh, no, that's not correct. Drop around uh, like 15, 20 picks, and we get to Michael Harris and Randy Arozarena. Harris at 38.6, Arozarena also at 38.6. As Scott mentioned at the, the top, you probably see Harris go more in like the two, three round range, maybe early third round. Harris was yeah. awesome last year. ESPN ADP dragging. <laughs> yeah. Harris is overall ADP down here. Normally, he's, yeah, around two, three turn. National League Rookie of the Year, came up from double-A, was ridiculous, hit 297, 19 home runs, 20 steals in only 114 games. That is a 25-homer, 26-steal pace, but the plate discipline is lacking. He chases a lot, hits a lot of ground balls, struggles against lefties, and with all Mm -hmm. that, he still almost went 20-20. So it sucks, Scott, because I don't want to bet against someone like Michael Harris. We clearly just saw the talent. But there mm-hmm. are warts there for someone this young who's going in the second or third round. So personally, yeah. I find myself shying away. Yeah, this is one of those uh, situations that I've come to just accept more in recent years. Like, I have Michael Harris as a potential bus this year. I might take him anyway, just because like he fills such an obvious need mm-hmm. and... You know, potential five-category production. That's what he showed last year. The case against Michael Harris, you point out the the ground ball rate. It was the second highest ground ball rate, only only to Christian Yelich. And we've seen how much Yelich's ground ball rate is, has uh, prevented him from providing power in recent years. Also, among those with even even a fifty percent or higher ground ball rate. You know, I, th- I think I think Michael Harris is like 53, so he's way above that. But 50% or higher, only one other player had a an ISO over 200, and it was Vladimir Guerrero. So is Michael Harris a Vladimir Guerrero no. caliber power hitter? Probably he's not. not. He's not. He's not. We don't have to do it probably. It's, you know, the the thing with Michael Harris is like, you can't really talk about him in a present tense when we talk about what he did last season, the underlying skill sets, he hits too many ground balls. He has bad play discipline. I think that the way to think about it is had, or he hit too many ground balls because what he is moving forward is probably going to be different than what he has been so far. Unless, he, I, unless he starts elevating better. Which is right, awesome. right. That's, that's what right, I'm yeah. saying is if he yeah. hits too many, he yeah, hits yeah. too many ground balls. Well, we don't know that yet because the sample yeah. size is so small. He's still such an unfinished player that like he's just he's a bust candidate because he's a high variance player in in both his skill set and the lack of track record and his age and all of these things. I will give you the glass half full take for the power for Michael Harris. And this is something I brought up for Juan Soto for years is Although he hits a lot of ground balls, when he puts it in the air, he hits it really hard. Michael Harris last year, 31st out of 252 qualified outfielders 
in average exit velocity on fly balls and line drives. So when Harris hits it in the air, he hits it really, really hard, and that will lead to a higher home run to fly ball ratio. Randy Rosarena going right around Michael Harris. Uh, last year, 20 home runs, 32 steals while hitting 262 back-to-back seasons with at least 20 home runs and 20 steals. He improved the strikeout rate. He went from 28% in 2021 to 24% in 2022. Definitely has some Javier Baez in him. <laughs> Aggressive swinger, lots of ground balls, and the strikeouts, while they're getting better, you know, it's still decently high. But the max EV and the sprint speed is still really good. He's just... Chris, he's this freak athlete that I think kind of defies all the kind of bad things that we see with him. And he's young enough you know, entering age 28 season where I think he could do it for at least one or two more years. Yeah. And and I think the he's one of those guys who you think about like expected stats and, and how, you know, we talk about. The, there's a, a range that you typically expect most players to fall into around their expected stats. So like in any given season, there will be variance that causes a 330 expected Woba guy to hit 340 or 320. I don't think a Rosarena has that same range because one, he's a very good athlete. And two, he actually does have an all fields approach as a hitter, which is not necessarily, I think the way you think of a guy like Randy or Rosarena, cause he's such a free swinger. He hits the ball really hard. We tend to think of those guys as just dead pull power hitters. And that's not Randy or Rosarena at all. He hits a lot of line drives. He hits the ball to the opposite field and up the middle, a decent amount. And so he's going to outperform his expected stats. I think that's, I feel pretty confident in that because of the type of player he is. And so I think we fell into the trap of, well, he had a 350 Woba in 2021 and a 304 expected Woba. He's definitely going to regress. He regressed a little bit, but I don't think he's the guy that you look at and say, oh, he's just a bad hitter because he's got a lot of blue on his stack ass page, which is a bad way of thinking about it anyway. That's not what these tools are are designed for. But specifically with Randy Rosarena, he's going to beat those expectations moving forward, I think. And with a Rosarena, I'll point out he is one of the players whose value changes a lot from head-to-head points leagues to roto leagues because he's also really, really streaky. I mean, this guy can Mm -hmm. go through a month where he is the best player in baseball and then another month where you're like, how did this guy even get here? So uh, he's really streaky. He'll give you the power and the speed, but... You know, plate discipline is lacking for Randy Rosarena. Yeah, and and point per game average is quite a bit lower than than the previous group we were talking about. Uh, Michael Harris uh, is also somebody who loses a lot of value in points leagues because we talked about the ground ball issues, but the plate discipline is, at least in his rookie year, was pretty poor for him as well. We have three outfielders going from picks 44 through 47. Kyle Schwarber at 44.2, Luis Robert at 45.2, and Cedric Mullins down at 47. Frankly, I have found myself avoiding this group. I still like Kyle Schwarber in a head-to-head points league. Really good OBP, 46 home runs, second most in baseball. I just find it hard to draft a player who hit under 220 inside of the first four rounds. I know, Scott, you're going to make the case for I know you love Schwarber and you love the power, but... Yeah, it's hard for well, me I to trust that batting average. He's more of a two thirty five hitter, I think. That's right, that's 20. part of it. But even that, and I don't, I don't want yeah, to draft a, a sub two forty hitter in the first four rounds of a of a, a lot of baseball category. insiders have cited Kyle Schwarber as somebody who will benefit from the shift ban. I don't know that the the data heads agree with that as strongly, but you know, any anytime, anytime you got a left handed hitter who 
who pulls the ball a lot, you know, there, there's a case to be made for that. And especially since it was an exceptionally low batting average for Kyle Schwarber last year. But as I mentioned, when I was talking about Aaron judge, this was number two in home runs last year and certainly has the kind of power to keep that going. And considering one of the things that I think is going to happen, one of the ways I think fantasy baseball is going to change this year is there's going to be a lot more desperation for home runs and a lot less desperation for stolen bases than we've seen in recent years. I'm not saying they're going to there are going to be a more total stolen bases in the game than home runs, but I think the way we experience it is going to change significantly. And um, Kyle Schwarber seems like a great pick at this point, considering. I know I was saying there's a drop-off, there's kind of a chasm in round three and four where I wouldn't want to take an outfielder. Kyle Schwarber might be the one exception because I don't worry about his health, and I know he's going to be a standout performer in a very important category. Chris, talk to me about Luis Robert and Cedric Mullins. They're going around a similar range. Robert, last year, I was all over. He was my pick to, he's going to be a first-round pick this time next year. The guy has not been able to stay healthy. I think there's still a really intriguing skill set there. Uh, but, you know, last year, only 98 games. This has been a consistent problem for him so far in the major leagues. There is power and speed, but can he stay on the field? I think it's a big question. And Cedric Mullins, big step back, steps back. He was still serviceable. He was, you know, a 41st overall in Roto last year. But the batting average from 291 to 258, home runs from 30 to 16, his OPS took a huge step back. So where are you at with these two? I I typically haven't found myself drafting either one. I, I don't find Mullins to be a particularly complicated or controversial player because, like you said, his batting average dropped nearly 30 points. His home runs fell almost in half last season. And he was still the number 10 outfielder and uh, I think the a top 45 player overall in Roto. So at least in Roto leagues, I think he what he did last year is totally sustainable. I, I don't see much reason to doubt what he did last season. And I don't think it's like out of the question that he could creep back into something between those two seasons. So I think there's still some upside there. I think he's a fine pick where he's going. Robert is like, I think you said it, the injuries are the biggest thing holding him back, but it's also like the production has just been okay. Most of his career. We've got the one partial season in 2021, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, where he looked like an absolute superstar. Other than that, he's been more like a you know, 750 to 800 OPS guy across the two partial seasons. But we're dealing with very small sample sizes across the board because he hasn't been able to stay on the field. We, he had the hip injury last season. I think, or two seasons ago, he had a hip injury. Last year, it was a wrist that really uh, you know dogged him in the second half of the season. But he was disappointing even before the injury. He wasn't hitting well last year. I think you know the batting average looked really good and the expected stats in that regard looked really good, but the power wasn't there. And so we're still we're entering year four for Luis Robert. We don't have a full season from him and still very, very much an unfinished product. So it's very easy to talk yourself into him as a potential top 10 outfielder, potential top five outfielder. I mean, it's a 30-30 season within the realm of possibility with a 300 average. I think it absolutely is. But for a guy going this high with as much time in the majors as he has, it's a very, very high variance profile. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he makes me look foolish this year and manages to put it together. That is Luis Robert. Uh, and I really 20, like... 2020, 
2020 should be a pretty threshold, easy threshold for him to meet if he stays yes. healthy. 30-30 upside, but 2020 with a high batting average, uh, you know, and, and that would justify this pick if he just did that. But of course, there's also the health issue for Robert. I like that he maintained the low strikeout rate from 2021. Mm-hmm. I just wonder yeah. how sustainable it is. 48% chase rate, that is in the first percentile. He is the most aggressive hitter in the game when it comes to chasing pitches outside the strike zone. And he had a 15% swinging strike rate. So just kind of wonder if those things kind of rear their ugly head uh, this season for Luis Robert. Let's move down to, we have four names going from pick 60 to 68. Uh, we've got Teoscar Hernandez with an ADP of 60.2. Uh, Dalton Varsho goes at 62, but you're likely drafting him as a catcher, and we spoke about him on our catcher preview. You know, you say that, but... In you're a drafting him as a catcher. And a five outfielder You're drafting league, him as a catcher. I playing Varsho as an outfielder a lot because it was so bad. It yeah. just happened. Like, you shouldn't go in the year thinking that, but it could happen. If you That's build a team with Dalton Varsho in your outfield, you're going to lose. If, if That's it happens, what I, will say. I, I agree, Scott. Things could happen, like desperate times call for desperate measures in the season. You should not expect that to happen at all. Like going into opening day, that should not be your plan with Dalton Varsho. Stalling Marte has an ADP of 63.6 and George Springer with an ADP of 67.8. Well, guess what, guys? We, we've officially reached that point of ADP where... We've got a lot of injury risk. I guess even the previous yep. group with Luis Robert. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to start off with Teoscar Hernandez, who's tr- he was traded from the Blue Jays to the Seattle Mariners. Something really interesting when I was looking into him. He went on the IL with a strained oblique in April, and he came back. He was abysmal in May, Teoscar Hernandez. Mm-hmm. From June on, he hit 285 with 23 homers, five steals, an 867 OPS, and destroyed baseball, 16% barrel rate. Basically identical to the player that he was in his breakout 2021. Uh, you know, Chris, people might talk about the, the park shift being negative, going from t- Toronto to Seattle. We said the same thing about Eugenio Suarez last year, and Tasker Hernandez hits moonshots. He, like, his average home run distance is among the best in baseball. So when he hits them, they, they, they typically travel out of anywhere, and it's a, a contract year. I'm just kind of talking myself into Teoscar Hernandez at this point in drafts. It's not nearly as severe a park shift as Jesse Winkers going from Cincinnati to Seattle. That's that's the the one key thing is, you know, that might be the high profile one that you think of. I oh, guess but we did I, have I mean, Suarez. Suarez made the yeah. same. Yeah, I, but yeah. I think Winker being a left handed batter, it's a bigger, bigger uh, downgrade. But Hernandez is not a sure thing as a hitter. We're still dealing with, you know, two and a half really good seasons, you know, over the course of the last three. But I think he's pretty good. I think he's a low to mid 800s OPS bat in that park. Probably not going to get a ton of steals from him, but he should be very good. I don't have much problem with him at this price. Our consensus rank is actually very different from the ADP rank at outfield for what it's worth, because that's how I did my outfield preview. And he is... He's below Adolis Garcia, Starling Marte, and George Springer and Elo Jimenez in our consensus ranks, which I thought is interesting. He's a, he's a player who I'm not totally comfortable with uh, with his ranking, Teoscar Hernandez, because I look at what you did, Frank, uh, from June first on. You know, if you just look at the overall stats, Teoscar Hernandez looks like he took a pretty big step back last year, but from June first on, he was the same player who was in 2021, more or less, which was you know stud production. But is it right to do that? 
is he a player who's going to struggle with the colder temperatures early in the season with the humidor in effect, as we saw a lot of hitters across the majors do? Or was it more the oblique that was the the issue for, for Teoscar Hernandez? As hard as he hits the ball, I would buy that explanation that it was more the oblique. And then there's the matter of how you rate him in points leagues versus Roto, because he strikes out a ton. And you're still looking to fill outfield spots in this range in a, in a head-to-head league. I know they're generally three outfielders, but you're still looking for an outfield here. And uh, Teoscar Hernandez averaged about the same number of points per game last year as Christian Yelich, who is not somebody we consider in this range. So it's... Yep. I find I never want to take him regardless of the scoring format because there's, I just have a lot of questions. But that's true for a lot of the outfielders here and... Maybe it's unfair to single him out. I don't know. No, I agree, Scott. I mean, I I think you do devalue Tasker Hernandez in a points league, but in Roto, you know, can we get 30 home runs and six to eight steals and, you know, solid batting average with good counting stats in that lineup? It's it's an improving Mariners lineup. I, I think that's all doable for Tasker Hernandez this year. I mean, he stole 12 bases two years ago. So, I mean, maybe he'll help in that, too. It, it is possible. I don't know. There, it seems like there's a lot on the table for him. I haven't drafted him yet in any real or mock drafts, but you know, after deep diving him, I, I'm a little bit more interested in Teoscar Hernandez. Chris, talk to me about two of these injury-prone outfielders, both aging as well, Stalling Marte and George Springer. Uh, Marte entering his age 34 season. Springer will turn 34 in September, so they're both getting up there, but they were both still pretty productive last season. There are some warning signs for Marte with his sprint speed. It's been falling off consistently and uh, only had 18 steals with nine caught stealing last year. So you see that efficiency come back. And, and the, the offseason reporting of his injury, he underwent core muscle surgery in early November, Starling Marte did. It's it's kind of been all over the place this offseason. Now, there was a report from uh, Buck Showalter that said there's no reason to think Marte won't be ready for the start of the season. I'm just kind of blindly trusting that, but uh, where are you at on both these guys, telling Marte and George Springer? I think it's probably a situation where Marte is less likely to play play 140 games um, just because he never does that. Where We have seen that from Springer before, at least, and Springer's a little younger. And, you know, last year he dealt with that. I think it was a bone spur in his elbow was the issue. There was a really good piece on Fangraphs a couple days ago that highlighted the fact that he kind of changed his swing as a result of that. He used to be a Springer uh, Springer you're talking about, right? Yeah. George Springer. He used to be someone who followed through with both hands on the bat. And as the season went on, you would see him let go with his right hand and and follow through with a one-handed finish. So it's clearly an issue. He had surgery to clean it up, not a structural thing. It was a cleanup. So I'm optimistic that he'll be better than he was last season, but he was already pretty good. So I, I do think George Springer is one of those guys. He's just a very good hitter. I don't c- have concerns about that. He, you can pick holes in like his average exit velocity was down one year versus the next, but he's he's kind of different every year. He does like different things well, but the end result is always very good. Marte is going to be awesome when he's on the field. You know, that that's just, he's old. He's... He doesn't light up the Statcast page, but like he never he, has, and he's been he's oldish for a while, as he used to be. Because yeah, he's probably uh, gonna miss, he's probably gonna miss a quarter of the season. Yeah, least. I think that's a pretty and safe bet. The thing he always did best, and that made him, uh, you know, that like 
royalty in fantasy was was run a lot. Well, he was he only stole 18 bases last year. It was only a 66.7% success rate, which is not very good. Sprint speed dropped a lot. He's 34. So yeah. here he's going to keep getting slower and he's going to keep getting hurt more and but- uh I have was, I have Starling Marte as a potential bust this year. He was 33 when he stole 47 bases. Yeah. It's no. po- like look, age is not a linear thing. It's possible he just lost a lot between 2021 and 2022. He also changed teams multiple times in that time and you know the the Mets have different organizational goals than the Marlins and A's did in 2021. So it's entirely possible that that's you know explains some of it. I Stolen base percentage, I don't look at too much. It's a kind of noisy stat from year to year. It could be a leading indicator of him losing speed. It could also just be that like he got caught stealing a few extra times. I I'm not too worried about that. It's possible that he's like more of a 280 hitter and more of a 20 steal guy over the course of a full season. But I I tend to give him the benefit of the doubt as well. On George Springer, real quick. This is a player who gains a lot of value in points leagues. I've actually had more head-to-head points per game than Kyle Tucker last year. Not that you should draft Springer ahead of Tucker, but you should draft him higher than this. And Man, I didn't realize he's the same age as Starling Marte, basically. For some reason, I thought he was like three years younger. Chris, when I introduced the players, I said that one is 34 and one is well, turning 34. You so. know what? I'm sorry, bud. I appreciate that you gave us that information, and I'm sorry that I didn't use it. It's all right. Uh, Stalling Marte, last thing I'll, I'll say on him, obviously he's a huge injury risk. I don't want to pair him with if Mike Trout is my outfielder one or Luis Robert is my first outfielder. If I want to make sure I have a pretty safe base before him, at least one that I feel good about, and then even the one that I draft after him, I, I probably want to feel pretty good about that guy too. So you don't want to put Stalling Marte with Luis Robert or Eloy Jimenez or, or some other really big injury risk. I'll, I'll just throw that out there for him as well. Four more names going between picks 77 and 83, and this is where we will wrap up today's discussion. Adolis Garcia at 77.6, Brian Reynolds at 80.8, Eloy Jimenez at 81.6, Corbin Carroll at 83.2. Here's what we're going to do. I'll give each of you guys two of these names. Scott, we'll start with you because I know you have a lot to say about Adolis Garcia. <laughs> All I'm going to say... One of four players, part of that 25-25 club last year. Two straight seasons with at least 27 home runs and 16 steals. And with Brian Reynolds, he was another one that got off to a really slow start. But from May 1st on, he was basically the Brian Reynolds that we saw. Not as good as 2021, but pretty close to it. So what do you think of these two, Scotty? All right, before I get into those two, and I know we're running out of time, but I'm going to guess this is where Chris sees more of the drop-off right after this group. He probably includes Byron Buxton in this group, but I there, there is a drop here. This is this goes from guys who could potentially be studly, even though we have a lot of concerns about them, and then right after this comes the guys who probably won't be studly, but will hopefully still be useful. So this is, these are the last of the potentially studly ones. And uh, yeah, of course, Adolis Garcia is in that group because he was studly last year. But that's why I can call him a bust candidate now because I'm not sure it's going to continue. I think he can, I think the power is legit. I think the speed is legit. And those are the main reasons you're drafting him. But he reached base at a 300 clip last year. He reached base at a 286 clip the year before that. That is like the most important offensive skill from a real baseball perspective. And Adolis Garcia is really bad at it. 
And especially last year with that 300 OBP, it's it's kind of amazing he managed to get 88 runs scored. And I think it's pretty amazing he got to 101 RBI too, given the Rangers lineup and, and how few 100 RBI guys we saw last year. So I expect his counting stats to decline in both of those categories, even if he remains in the lineup every day. And I, I raise that question because he's turning 30 before opening day. He's not some kind of building block here for the Rangers. He's much older than you think. And if there's any slippage in that batting average, since it's doing all of the lifting for the OBP, if that OBP goes from 300 to 270, 275, which wouldn't take much, I don't know that he's going to remain a player. Like I said, not a building block here at his age. So... I, I definitely see a total bottom-out scenario for Adolis Garcia, which is what makes him scary. So that's that's my spiel on him. Brian Reynolds I like. I think 2021 is closer to true Brian Reynolds than 2022 in that he can be a help in batting average. Uh, obviously, there was a big difference in runs in RBI between the two years playing for the Pirates doesn't help, but he managed to deliver a good total of both in 2021 in spite of that. So... Hopefully he can do that again. He's also really fast, and so I'm hopeful that Brian Reynolds, particularly in that lineup where they're going to have to manufacture a lot of runs, is one of the players who will become more aggressive with the new limit on limits on pickoff throws and finally take advantage of that speed on the base paths. Can they just trade him? Yeah, that would be help too. Because uh, it's not lot. just like the lineup's really bad. It's also just a really tough park, especially... True. For he's not a left, he's a switch hitter, but most of his plate appearances come from the left side. That's a very, very tough place for left-handed hitters, especially. So would like to see a trade for Brian Reynolds. And I'm not just saying this because I got the Yankee stuff in my background, but the Yankees have often been linked to Brian Reynolds. So that is one possible location. That would be amazing. That, that would be, be cool. really anywhere of the spectrum. Really anywhere outside of Pittsburgh, except for Miami, who he's also been linked to, would would be pretty good for Brian Reynolds. Scott, last point on Adolis Garcia. I hear what you're saying, man. I'm not not worried about Adolis Garcia. But man, we were saying the same things last year, mm-hmm. and he was the 16th overall player in Roto. So I get it, man. Well, but I, and I, I took advantage uh, of the ADP last year because everybody was out on Adolis Garcia. Then it was kind of stupid. Um, but now everybody's in on Adolis Garcia. So I, I'll, 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 you know, I'll, I'll see the glass half empty. That's fine. I wouldn't say I have everyone's to come in, up though. with a certain number of bust candidates. I get it. I get it. But I would not say contractually. I would not say everybody is in though. 16th overall in Roto, his ADP is at 77. That's that's still a pretty big discount from where he finished the season. Chris, someone that I know that you uh, wrote up as a breakout this year, someone I write up as a breakout every year because, you know, why not? I'd like to get my heart broken. It's Eloy Jimenez. Just when you think you're out, he pulls you back in. He has played just 139 of 324 games the past two seasons. But when he returned for the final three months last year, he hit 305, 15 home runs, 93 mile per hour average exit velocity, and 859 OPS, which ranked as the ninth best qualified hitter during that time. One of these years, he's going to stay healthy, and Eloy Jimenez is going to return like top two round value in fantasy. Well, he basically did that in 2020. It was just a partial season right. for everybody, which maybe helped him stay healthy. He is, um, he doesn't look like he's built to play professional sports. Um, 
Like he he looks like a DH only. I know his stack has sprint speed has actually been like higher than I expected, which you know, last year it finally collapsed to 16th percentile, which matches the eye test. He's to my eyes at least, he's the least athletic player in baseball. Um and hopefully the White Sox can just stick him in DH and never have him play the field. I know he wants to. He has said he views himself as an outfielder. I hope he's just a DH because a lot of his injuries have come playing the outfield and he doesn't look natural out there. He looks very uncomfortable. He, he might just be what Jose Abreu has been for the last, like better part of the last decade though. He might be the kind of guy who's just a, a metronome with home runs and RBI while being a very good source of batting average. That's the kind of player he profiles to be moving forward. He might not steal a base ever. He hasn't yet. He's never going to score a lot of runs because he's a relatively low OBP guy and you know he's going to not get around the bases too well. But I think he has the potential to be a legitimate three-category stud. And it's just, for me, a question of staying healthy at this point. I'm willing to bet on it you know, at, at his current prices because I, I think he's a better player than what he's being drafted for. Well, Chris, if you're going to do it with Byron Buxton, why not do it with Eloy Jimenez, exactly. guy, right? We've saved the best for last. It is Corbin Carroll has an ADP of 83.2, arguably the top prospect in baseball with Gunnar Henderson. Spent 32 games with the D-backs last year, hit 260 with four homers, two seals, and 830 OPS. Stick with me here. I'm going to bounce around a little bit. Some things I didn't like. 27% strikeout rate, 48% ground ball rate. That's a little high. Expected stats were very bad. Quality of contact, also very bad. 32-game sample. I don't want to put too much stock into that. This dude's minor league numbers are ridiculous. 142 career games. Corbin Carroll has hit 307, 28 homers, 52 steals, a 10-14 OPS. He has 80-grade speed, and he was clocked as the fastest player according to sprint speed last season. Scott, I am not ruling out the possibility... That Gunnar Henderson, Gunnar Henderson, Corbin Carroll hits 15 to 20 home runs with 40 plus steals a season. He could lead baseball in steals. I think that's within his range of outcomes as a rookie. Yeah, because he's he's being drafted here right before what I perceive to be a drop off at the position. Kind of the last of the outfielders I want is my number two outfielder. I'm inclined to take a favorable view with him. Of course, I've I've monitored Corbin Carroll throughout his minor league career. I was talking him up as an 18-year-old. Uh, and just the, the resilience he showed coming back from the pandemic and then right after that suffering a season-ending shoulder injury and then just coming back and putting up the same monstrous numbers he, he always did after missing basically two full years in a row. Uh, very impressive. Great contact skills. Great speed. But I do wonder, you know, especially seeing the way things shook out for Alec Thomas last year and on the other end, the pitchers, Dre Jamison and Ryan Nelson had terrible numbers at double at the Diamondbacks AA and AAA affiliates. Alec Thomas, of course, as a hitter, had great numbers at those affiliates. And then they came up in the majors and it was like opposite day for, for all of them. Like those just AA and AAA and the Diamondbacks organization seem like especially – Favorable places to hit and unfavorable places to pitch. And did those elevate Corbin's numbers? You know, the fact he was producing before he even got to double A AA and triple A gives gives me a lot of hope. And the fact that so many scouts view him so favorably, like top overall prospect kind of uh, view of him. 
you know, I, I think it's more likely than not he's he, he's going to not fall into that trap that Alec Thomas did last year. I think Corbin Carroll is more likely than not the real deal. But I do have some question about it. And, th- and that's why personally, in my own prospect rankings, I have Gunnar Henderson ahead of Carroll. But we're talking about number one versus number two. We're not talking about number one versus number 50, you know? Chris, so, yeah, I, I like I like Carroll here fine. Chris, I don't want to put too much stock into, again, small sample size from last year with Arizona, but Corbin Carroll did struggle mightily against lefties. He hit 179 with a 590 OPS. I, I didn't, Honestly, I should have looked how many plate appearances it was. I'll, I'll look it up because I feel like he wasn't even playing against lefties. So again, small sample. It was only 30. I looked into his minor league numbers. Also wasn't great against lefties. He's the type of prospect where he's not going to be platooned, but I, I do kind of worry... Even if he plays against lefties, like maybe that drags his numbers down if he's just really bad against them. It's a really, really difficult thing to do to ask a 22-year-old lefty to hit lefties well, especially one with as little experience as Corbin Carroll has because the the big reason why lefties, why you generally see bigger splits with lefties against lefties than righties against righties is just you see a lot more righties. And Corbin Carroll just hasn't seen a lot of high-level left-handed pitching. And this was my concern with Gavin Lux when he got called up. Was you know very similarly regarded prospect. I think Gavin Lux probably had a little more raw pop uh, when he was coming up as a prospect and a little older. But the issue for him was just he didn't really hit lefties all that well until his final you know big season in the minors. And that's been an issue for him in the majors. So I could see that with uh, Corbin Carroll. But I tend to not put very much stock in his stack has data from last year at all really just because it's a 21 year old coming up with very little professional experience who more than held his own as a major leaguer that says more to me than necessarily how he got there especially when you're talking about you know 32 games I I think he'll need to hit the ball better than he did last season he if he has an 88 86 percent or an 86 mile per hour average exit velocity last season he's probably not going to be a very good hitter that being said, I think he's a pretty safe bet for 30-plus steals. And so even if the, pa- the the bat isn't there yet, you know, if we're going to see a return to or, or a reflection of what the minor league numbers have been, you know, last season especially, it's possible that, like, the era of Scott Pudsednik is back and Corbin Carroll could be that kind of player. I mean, I, that, I think it could that's be a Shane little Victorino. before some of your times. Like if, you know? if Corbin Carroll doesn't live up to the full extent of his upside, he might just be Shane Victorino, yeah. who if you've been playing fantasy for you know over 10 years, you'll remember was a pretty studly player, even as a 15 homer guy. But like the upside is, I mean, the problem is anytime you're talking about someone who steals a lot of bases, you kind of have to date yourself because there aren't a lot of uh, examples. Like you don't want to compare him to Trey Turner. But you know, like your your for your your old era Jacoby Ellsbury's, uh, that kind of like Carl Crawford, you know, not going to steal that many bases probably, but certainly has the speed to be one of the best in baseball and should be a good hitter. But even if he's not, I think he's going to be a very valuable fantasy option in roto leagues. Shane Victorino back in two thousand eight hit two ninety three with fourteen home runs and thirty six steals. It's pretty fun. It's really good. I mean, <laughs> it's pretty useful. Let's let's keep dating ourselves. Oh gosh. Low end outcome. Michael Bourne. 
<laughs> That's a very low end outcome. I think we were talking. I mean, we yeah, I mean some, he had some. Uh, Michael Bourne was season, a pretty right? awesome player, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah. he was. He's gonna. Corbin's gonna have more power than Michael Bourne, but fair enough. All right. Well, lacking efficiency here on part one of our He's outfield love, love preview. Some guys though. But yeah, why not? Michael Bourne, a little Ellsbury, Shane Victorino, Juan Pierre. Uh, we're gonna wrap there for Scott and Chris. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye bye. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on fantasy baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework.